The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. Have you ever found yourself looking up at the night sky, staring at the countless stars sprinkled over the black emptiness of space? As you kept looking, its vastness grew and invaded your mind, making you realize the scale of the expanding universe and how small you are in comparison filling you with a dreadful emotion that can be hard to describe, as if you inadvertently peeked at something beyond yourself. Now all my tales are based on the fundamental premise that common human laws and interests and emotions have no validity or significance in the vast cosmos at large. It was everywhere, a gelatin, a slime, yet it had shapes, a thousand shapes of horror beyond all memory. There were eyes and the blemish. It was the pit, the maelstrom, the ultimate abomination. It was the unnameable. The thing cannot be described. There is no language for such abysms of shrieking and immemorial lunacy. Such eldritch contradictions of all matter, force and cosmic order. One must forget that such things as organic life, good and evil, love and hate, and all such local attributes of a negligible and temporary race called mankind have any existence at all. A man stares out into the sky. There is no moon, no stars, no form of light in the darkness above. He stares into the empty, ink-stained blackness of space, lost in thought at what could lie beyond the void above. The thing of the idols, the green, sticky spawn of the stars, had awaked to claim his own. The stars were right again. Beyond the monsters, the violence, and the danger, this horror is about the awareness of the limits of your own humanity. And we also didn't talk about Sigourney Weaver. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about, now on patreon.com forward slash speak all evil, and we are piling up the content over on Patreon. Come check it out. Lots of stuff we don't have time to get to here. Lots more ground to cover. I know it seems like we do quite a bit here, but uh, there is actually more. This week, Cosmic Horror. <laughs> Cosmic horror generally deals with elements from beyond the natural world as we know it, uh, forces from out of this time and space, this dimension, this shared reality. Ultimately, I think cosmic horror really is about the discovery and confrontation of the uh, ultimate insignificance and futility of our personal and collective existence in the face of this vast, unknowable horror. So it gets a little bit esoteric. I think H.P. Lovecraft would be everybody's sort of definitional beginning of what we know now as cosmic horror. We have one movie this week that I would say is the contemporary dictionary definition of cosmic horror on film. 
we have another movie that isn't at all, but everybody wants to talk about it. So we're, we're giving a little pass. So we're going to start off with the real deal. It's a movie called The Void from 2017. This is a Canadian production. Big, big fan of this movie. This is as essential as it gets to me for contemporary cosmic horror. Very simple setup and very traditional setup. This is a small town cop. It's unwittingly discovered the emergence uh, and uh, coming birth of a cosmic cult here on Earth in his sleepy little town. Minimalist setup, cop on duty, finds a guy in the middle of the road, he's bloodied, he's battered, he's babbling, takes this guy to the small town hospital, which is pretty much deserted, and you end up with a ragtag band of some strangers and some acquaintances trapped inside this hospital as the what turns out to be a kind of cosmic cult coming down and the development is fast and furious this movie starts and gets going right away um i see a lot of people calling this film a throwback to the 80s horror i don't really see that quite as much but um i'm so like immersed you know so schooled in 80s horror to begin with that to me it just seems like regular horror um the practical effects are amazing there's actually some pretty interesting stuff about the making of this movie and we can talk more about that but i'm a big fan of this one of my favorite recent movies this is available right now for free on tubi on popcorn flicks with ads or you can watch this on shutter which is where i saw it love this movie kevin what do you think I had to watch this twice, and I realized that that's starting to become a problematic theme for me on the show, because I'd, I had seen it. I think you guys had probably recommended it to me back when it came out, and I think it hit streaming pretty quickly after it was announced. And I didn't really remember a whole lot about it, so I watched it again, and I, di- I didn't like it at first. I thought it, I liked, I appreciated a lot of things about it. Um, like the you talked about the effects, I appreciated a lot of the the gore. Some of the characters are really fantastic. Um, but then I went back and, and watched it because again a second time before the show because I just found it confusing and I was just let down that I I was expecting more answers. Um, but upon what would be my total fourth watch total, um, this is firmly up there as one of my favorite cosmic type horror. You know, there's some body horror elements. It's it's up there. It's not the thing, but I, I love it. It actually reminded me of, like, Kubrick's monoliths in 2001 when they actually started to show you at the end, like, the void. And that got me into, like, a 2001 mindset, and which is another relatively confusing movie. Um, but I appreciated the fact that you're just supposed to wonder. I mean, either you're a fan of, of real cosmic horror or you're not because the whole purpose of the genre a lot of times is to not give you a ton of answers and let you, you know, pick on your creative bone a little bit and sort of wonder what it is for yourself. And that's the entire purpose of, you know, the definition of cosmic horror is we're insignificant and there are things beyond us that we can't even comprehend. So I think if you want to check all those boxes, this movie definitely does it. Um, there's a lot of a lot of movies that it reminded me of. Some I love, some I don't. I got like a real Baskin vibe when I watched it the last time around. Um, I got a real In the Mouth of Madness vibe at parts. I got a real Carpenter's Prince of Darkness vibe. So 
the more you watch it, the more you see that this is a, a horror movie made by some pretty serious fans of horror. And I think they think they did a great job. Yeah, I didn't really know what was going on for most of the movie, but I know that it was very scary. It was very much a body horror. I loved it. I liked it a lot. I had a tab going for how many times I aud- like loudly gasped. Uh, I got a seven. I, I loudly gasped seven times. It was mostly tentacle-related. When they're flopping <laughs> out of the face. Um, I liked the hot cop. He was, uh, he was 10 out of 10. There were a lot of, like, um, uh, really good, like, character actors from, like, Supernatural and, like, reboot of the X-Files and stuff like that. So I like, like, picking those, like, little characters out, like, throughout it. They had a good cast. Everyone pulled their little tentacle weight, their little floppy face tentacle weight. I liked it a lot. Um, I like The Void. Uh, it reminded me of another indie cosmic horror film uh, called Beyond the Black Rainbow. Oh, yeah. Um, and everyone's uh, take on this is kind of like that they didn't understand it or that uh, it didn't answer a lot of questions that it raised. And it's one of the few genres that, uh, for me, should be like that. I think cosmic horror should be ambiguous and cryptic to a certain extent. Uh, it's like sci-fi, basically, without a tidy ending. Um, there were in this movie, there were too many coincidences, though. Like the stuff beyond and all that. Um, I'm willing to accept lots of things, but you know, like he just happens to be ending up at the hospital where this doctor works. I mean, he's ca- talking dispatch in the beginning and he's like, where do I, what's the closest hospital? What's open? What do I do? And he just randomly goes to this hospital where it just happens to be the epicenter of all this cosmic activity. And they don't really explain why everyone just kind of shows up at that hospital. Um, so on that part, uh, I was a little bit confused um, and it did get a little, at the end it was uh, it was almost a narration by like the the main bad guy that went on way too long. And he's just talking like this with reverb forever. And then we shall inherit the earth and the space monster. But I did like this movie. Um, the practical effects are the best. Uh, very, very well done. Uh, one thing I noticed is that this movie takes uh, advantage of a lot of times when you see CGI, special effects in movies, uh, there'll be rain uh, or something that's interrupting the frame that they're working on. Um, and in this movie, what they did is they had lots of uh, electrical problems. So there's always a flickering light. And if you guys noticed this, but there were the fluorescent lights that would fall down from the ceiling and they would be flickering. And what that does is allows them to do these special effects um, a little cleaner um, because your vision is constantly interrupted by this like strobing effect but that can be scary because you're it makes you like like look close at the tv and try to figure out what you're looking at and half the time you don't know what you're looking at um but the monster looked great and a lot of times the problem i have with cosmic horror is that when the monster or whatever gets cut open or they bleed or they get shot. 
it's like this green goo or this blue goo or like some crazy color. And I don't like that. It's to me, it just takes the whole gore out of it. This monster had like this ricotta cheese that came out of it when it was cut open uh, that I found very appealing. <laughs> I, I love a lot of the background of this movie because it's co-directors. And the only other movie I could find that they've done is a, a movie called Father's Day. But Stephen Kostansky and Jeremy Gillespie. And they actually crowdfunded like 80 something thousand dollars just so that they could do all of these practical effects on it. So the the path that this movie took to being made is interesting. And we've talked about it in recent episodes. It just, you know, when you find out how they made the movie and why they made the movie, you got to have respect whether you like it or not. And you talked about the cast, Cat. So many, so many great, you know, kind of peripheral actors. And I love seeing a bunch of character actors come together without a clear star. You know, probably the most uh, recognized would be Kenneth Welsh, who we just talked about as being the doctor. And, um, you know, he's been in, you know, Twin Peaks, Exorcism of Emily Rose, Survival of the Dead. He was in the 2005 Fog remake, which is one of the worst movies ever made. Um, but I love the fact that Art Hindle makes an appearance here. And good old Artie was in Offspring that we just talked about. And he was also in The Brood. He was in the original Black Christmas in 1974. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So, yeah, the cast, there's, there's a lot more people, but almost everybody has some tie to horror in some way, whether it be television or in film. And, and I think watching it as many times as I did... You never really can pick out like a main character, and I appreciate that. If you took a laser and you and you shot obliterated a Stouffer's frozen lasagna, <laughs> it's kind of like the same effect as this movie. But you know, it's not just about the practical effects. And the thing that made me uh, excuse some of the the plot holes or the unexplained things, besides for the cosmic horror, was. The great dialogue. I felt like the dialogue was so natural and like people's reaction, like when the cop, he's exasperated and surprised the whole time. So when they don't explain things to you, you feel like you're right there with the main character. Um, and, you know, he says things like, you saw that, right? Did you did you see that? That was fucking crazy. Did you see that? Because like people don't do that in horror movies. I feel like if we saw something like that, we'd be going on and on and on about how, you know, like crazy it was and how surprised we were. No, you're right. I've been watching so many movies lately and noticing a thing that horror movies love to do is put somebody through something fucked up and then, you know, they run into somebody else and they're just like silent, like speechless. They can't say anything. You're right. <laughs> we'd be like running around and being like, vampire, vampire, did you see that? You just put that guy's neck. But instead of <laughs> horror movies, fuck. they like run up to him and they're like, mm, mm, mm. it's like, no, 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 no. Like we would be like, bro, did you just see that tentacle? Like I know the light just fell and it's a little flashy, but that was a fucking Bruh. tentacle. Whatever his daughter was, whatever he referred to as his daughter in the end was probably the most fucking fucked up thing I've ever seen. That was crazy. It was like a weird square... I couldn't even tell what was going on, like, with it, because, like Dave said, you know, it's very, like, there's a monster, but you can't, like, see it all the way at all times, and I was just like, what other parts does it have? What is it using? What is this weird face? It was just... Skeletor face. It was a face. lot. 
yeah, it was like, that's what it was like, a Skeletor. The closest thing to cosmic horror, I think, that we deal with from day to day is the evolution of mold. And like when you leave a cup out, um, you can leave a cup of milk on your, your side table and it won't metamorphosize the same. You never know what you're going to get. Sometimes it's all lumpy. Sometimes it turns green. Sometimes, uh, you know, it turns yellow. But that's what I like about Cosmic Horror. There you go. Some mold right there. <laughs> Is, yeah, you accept like, all right, I don't know. There's no science to explain this. There's no, we have no idea what's causing this stuff. Um, but I was wondering uh, with you guys, if you were the first person to come across an, an asteroid that landed somewhere and you f somehow saw the prospect to harness this power, wouldn't you do it? Not if so it's going like to make me take all my skin power. off. Taking all your skin off is like a next level, like transcendence thing, you know, like martyrs. Um, it seems to be held in high regard in the horror world. Mm. I would feel, I hope that when I go out, I am completely skinless. And I we can, can eat you ahead. after, right? Uh, no. No. <laughs> no? Did anybody else pick up on like a real like anti-religious vibe from The Void? Uh, uh, well, there's definitely a god. He He's playing god for sure. I just mean like overall, like I think if you watch kind of like the arc of the movie, I picked up on this like almost like a just live your life and stop looking for greater meaning vibe. Like that there was some sort of lesson there where they're like, none of this shit would have happened if somebody wasn't searching for a greater meaning. Well, yeah, you, you kind of the whole, this particular whole chain of events, if you really follow the story, goes back to uh, an inability to accept loss, almost similar to what we saw in Pet Cemetery, because the doctor, this is all essentially about not being able to come terms, come to terms with the loss of his daughter. And then he, the quote, what does he say? Uh, it's surprising what you can find when you go looking. So you have the cult, which becomes a large part of this movie, uh, despite you know no real answers. You have the child loss, which several of our main characters experience. So that's another kind of horror trope. You have body horror and unexplained monsters. And then all of a sudden you have this other universe and this monolith. It's like the void. I mean, they throw a lot at you. So I think the reason that this is so confusing the first time is your brain is trying to pull out what a typical movie for any one of those things could be. So, you know, in the beginning when I was watching it, I was like, okay, this is like a cult movie. So, all right, my, now, my, now I'm watching this movie through the lens of somebody that's watched many movies about cults. Then all of a sudden you have somebody cutting their own face off and turning into a flappy monster. So now I'm like, all right, well, now I'm going to go to these like practical effect body horror monster movies. So it, it gives you a lot of roads to go down. I think my advice would be just watch this movie start to finish, pay attention, and don't, don't let your brain try to compare it to anything else. Just take it for what it is and see what you come up with. I actually, I didn't have time, but I would love to know if there's like a Reddit sub thread where people have all of their crazy Reddit theories on what this movie means. And I actually, when we were done with this, I probably spent a couple hours on that. 
that flappy face horror scene is tremendous. First thing that happens that really gives you an idea the scale of what you're about to see, flapping face horror. Something's <laughs> flapping, coming out of someone's face. The dead person's face is flapping. They just give you a quick shot of it. Uh-oh, what's crawling out of her face? Why is it flapping oh. so much? Here we go. Next thing you know, you know tentacles are in your future. You know heads are bursting through, bodies, cavities are exploding, and it uh, gets right down to business. Really, really love that. I have a hard time sometimes watching movies where maybe I'm just too stoned or whatever, but I start thinking about, I was like, okay, this doctor starts this cult. I guess it's of these, you know, these super cosmic humans that he's making. And then what's he do? Like to go to Cabela's and be like, yeah, I need 1,000 of these buck knives. They have to all be the same. And I also, I'm going to need, I'm going to need these outfits made. Uh, I'm going to go to the uniform place and I'm going to call up and be like, yeah, it's kind of like a clan outfit, but it's got a triangle in the face. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. He's waiting for these to come in UPS. Yeah. Like He's all ready to go, but he's still... These things up. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's still waiting for the last of the robes to get done. He's, he's really... <laughs> yeah, I but I didn't like the knife. I wish they didn't I love, have... I liked the They knife. all had the same knives. They all have a, the same like curved buck knife. So you know it's an evil cult doing evil stuff whenever the knife is curved like that. I just thought that was kind of a... A nice aesthetic touch. Silly, for sure. But you mentioned also, uh, I think, something that's pretty common in cosmic horror, the human accomplices. So in this movie, it's not just the evil doctor and the forces from beyond that he's toying with and bringing here. There is a whole cult of humans who are uh, uh, um, participating in this. And, And that goes back, I think, back to early Lovecraft. You have the hooded figures in robes they're hiding the secret societies the underground cults where your own fellow human beings are in league with these fantastical forces from out of this world and so you don't really know who you can trust and this movie plays with that a little bit uh, not quite as much as something like the thing but there is a, a question of loyalties at at one point at certain points in the movie and who might already be involved in, in league with this cult and who isn't Kevin in the Woods, which I think we all love very much, except for Trent, uh, came. Oh no, nothing. You want to say anything? Okay. Uh, came out in 2011. Uh, directed by Drew Goddard and written by him and Joss Whedon. So you know there are going to be some yucks in there. So when five college friends go on a vacay to a remote cabin in the woods, little do they expect the horrors that await them. One by one, they fall victim to the cabin's evil forces, manipulated by two pencil pushers in charge. But what evil forces are really at play? (laughs) Uh, So basically what's happening is that this uh, big old company is orchestrating weird horror movie scenarios to be played out in real life with unknowing victims. 
For what purpose? That's the Lovecraftian part. Spoilers. Um, I thought this is a great, beautiful meta. Uh, honestly, very scary horror. I thought it was scary. I thought a lot of the character, or the, a lot of the, uh, how did they describe them? Not subjects, but some, they used some weird word to describe them, but they, they were all very different, very spooky, all, you know, characters we've seen in all the other horror movies that we've watched. Even though you know what's going to happen, I still loved watching it. Uh, the gore and the prosthetics were obviously on point. This is a high budget situation. And Chris Hemsworth was in this film, the beloved Thor. I think I'm gonna have to give him a 12 out of 10 if I gave the hot cop from the void a 10 out of 10, because I think he's got a couple more abs. Cosmic, cosmic horror uh, is this week's topic. I don't know all the works of H.P. Lovecraft. I do know he's synonymous with this genre. Cosmic horror uh, needs to be about space. It's something that comes from space. And though I love Cabin in the Woods, um, and I don't want to give away too much of the spoiler, it seemed like an Earth, uh, though spiritual, but the origin of this evil was like a godly earth thing cosmic horror doesn't necessarily mean from cosmos as in space and this movie the end of this movie and the ultimate sort of the powers behind the story they do refer to the ancient ones the old ones and that's that's classic like lovecraft stuff this these forces don't have to be from like mars like they're they can be from wherever so this movie technically does do cosmic well, horror, but it, it does it in a way that it's like paying tribute to various genres, not just right. cosmic horror. Meta. It sort of throws that in, yeah. I was super psyched with the pick. I did my first thing that I thought was, was like, oh, is that cosmic horror? Because I wasn't quite sure. No. Um, and that's why I wanted to have that discussion. But I think this is the best, like, super accessible millennial blockbuster horror movie. This is what the live action Scooby Doo should have looked like. Um, <laughs> I usually hate the setup where something preys on the victim's worst fears. I feel like that just sets the precedent for lots of stupid, unrealistic scenarios, uh, i.e. Freddy Krueger turning, you know, into a meatball in your fucking spaghetti and all that shit. So I generally don't like that whole conceit. Uh, but in this movie, it's unapologetically commercial. Um in its characters, in its conceits, in its dialogue. Uh, and, I, and I respected that. It sets kind of that tone to begin with, that this is easy viewing, and it's just a fun, over-the-top, like, splatterfest. My daughter, who's 14, wanted to watch this movie. Um, we got to go to a theater, which movie theaters have not been open here because of COVID-19. So we got to... I called in some favors, and I got a movie theater all to ourselves so we could watch whatever horror movie she wanted to with her friends. Or they picked, they wanted to watch a horror movie. So, you know, these kids high post all the time about, oh yeah, I love scary movies. Yeah, nothing scares me. I've seen like the scariest movies. They love to high post around me, and it's very <laughs> dangerous. Um, because I, I thought this was very pedestrian. I, I didn't really consider it scary 
and all these kids were just terrified uh, of this movie. <laughs> so that kind of backfired on me, although that's kind of like the dad I want to be. I would have been less, uh, I would have felt worse if they came away from it being thinking I was some sort of wuss because of the movie that we watched. So I liked The Cabin in the Woods. I don't love it. And I feel like this movie was released in 2011, but was had been made for a couple of years before that, ended up in some development hell. And I feel like if you went to the theater and you saw this in 2011 or you saw it as soon as it was, as it was available, this I think I actually rented. I think this is one of the last movies I physically rented, and I was still renting way, way past most people. I didn't see this until about five years ago, so about five or so years after it was released. And uh, I thought it was fine. I didn't pay that much attention to it the first time. So now that I've seen it again, I guess I feel like this movie probably definitely more than any other ushered in the current era of meta horror. Not that there haven't been other eras and the meta perspective has been present in horror from the beginning. So not that that's new, but I think the current moment in meta horror is largely still we're living in the the cabin in the woods era and that's fun um that's clever and there's a lot you can do there but at some point to me if you can't do something original and unique and something that stands out within the confines of the genre the easiest thing to do would be to deconstruct the genre. So instead of making a good movie like The Void, you do a movie that's about movies like The Void and you play with genre tropes. It's very self-aware, <laughs> self-referential. And you do all the stuff and you show all the things. And I feel like that's what The Cabin in the Woods does. And it does it well. And I did enjoy it. Not saying I didn't enjoy it. I like the movie. It's a good movie. I would recommend it if that's your thing, but I feel like in the last 10 years, maybe the brilliance of this film has dimmed a bit, having had everyone else and their brother do the same thing since. Kevin, I know this is one of your modern favorites, so why don't you go ahead? I'm sure you have a lot to say about this one. So when this movie was announced, it, it, was, it was made long before Chris Hemsworth was Chris Hemsworth. So they made this movie back in like 08, 09, and then studio bullshit, yada, yada, yada. I'd been reading about this movie for like two years, and I was like, where is this fucking movie? Because it sounds like Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon went into my head and pulled out the perfect horror movie for Kevin Kenny to watch. And so when it hit theaters, it hit theaters at a time that I was so busy at work that I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to see this flick in theaters. I'm not going to... So when it got to the tail end of its run in theaters... I just looked at my boss one day and I work very close to a movie theater and came out late in the year. I had a ton of vacation time I needed to use. And I was like, it's a quiet day. Can I please leave? So at 10 o'clock in the morning, I left work, drove to the nearest liquor store, bought myself a pint of vodka, stuffed it down my pants, walked into the movie theater at 11 a.m. when the first showing is like 11.10. Bought a ticket to Cabin in the Woods, bought a Sprite, went into the bathroom, dumped about a third of it out, walked into the theater. I'm the only person in the theater. So I sit right in the middle, like perfect. And I'm like, who the fuck else is going to come see Cabin in the Woods at 11 o'clock in the morning? 
during its last week in theaters during like the holiday shopping season. So I rip the cover off that Sprite, start dumping vodka in there, and then I look up and there's this older couple just staring at me with that look on their face like, what are you doing? So I looked at them, I shrugged and smiled and just kept making my drink. I'm jealous that's, of this story. That's that's how I want to see every movie. Obviously, you guys know my taste. It's it's a lot less specific than I think Trent and Dave's. Uh, I run the gamut of horror. I will watch Sam and Dean Winchester You're on Supernatural. What's that? You're open-minded. Yeah, I like how you just cast <laughs> you just cast me and Dave into roles of being closed. I've been doing a, a podcast about horror movies. Yeah, very rigid. No, uh, no, I'm that's not what I meant. I, I did not mean that. I'm sorry if you took it that way. Um, I just mean that you guys aren't going to necessarily sit through 15 seasons of Supernatural like I like no, I would. True. Fine. Fair. Fair. So I love this movie. Uh, the fact that it was written by Joss Whedon is he's one of my faves. I know that he had a little bit of public perception issues in recent years, which is a bummer because his works have always been so female power based. He's always had very strong female characters, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, you know, Drew Goddard. This was his first movie that he directed, which which surprised me. But he's also gone on to do some fun movies like uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. And Drew Goddard wrote Cloverfield, and then he wrote The Martian, which are both great movies. So anyway, I'll let some other people talk. I would just say that somehow, some way, I don't know why, and it might honestly just come down to Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins as the two, as Sitterson and Hadley, the two guys kind of controlling the scenario, that literally might be all it took to put this in my like top 10 movies of all time list. Because throwing in like the genre tropes and all of the cliches and everything, but adding that element uh, and the performances that those two actors gave really did it for me. Anytime they came on screen. And also, the movie has one of the most confusingly brilliant openings of a horror movie with water cooler talk in like a factory. I don't know. I mean, you you just referenced Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Supernatural in the same conversation. And I think that therein lies the difference between our, our tastes. But um, whereas uh, The Void, I felt like was a little bit too artistic for its own good. This one was, you know, just super commercial. Um, somewhere in between is where my favorite uh, would lie. But um, I don't know. I'm not going to hate on on this movie. I like this movie a lot. But like, again, I don't like kind of the genre that it's in. All the, the ladies uh, that were with me when we watched it last um, were all like, oh, my God, the guy from Grey's Anatomy is dying. <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I guess this thing, this this um, this man body shaming thing, uh, is actually now is really I, I'm starting to feel it because I notice I'll watch a movie like this, and a part of me is just enjoying the movie and like yeah, I'm a good time, I'm eating my popcorn, and then all of a sudden it transforms, and I'm like, this guy fucking takes his shirt off one more fucking time. <laughs> like I'm trying to fucking fart and eat popcorn and drink this 35 ounce soda. You know, what do you think my entire I, life watching movies has been like, Dave? Right. I well, deserve a little eye candy. Too. 
You know, one thing that happens on the show is sometimes you, you end up getting cast in a role just by virtue of the dynamic in the group. And I don't want to be, don't mark me down as not liking Cabin in the Woods. I, I didn't not like it. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I particularly enjoyed, the, there's some cameos in this we haven't touched on. Did you guys notice the cameo by um, Pound Foolish, the clown? No. Huh? no, they couldn't get penny. They couldn't get Pennywise, so Pound Foolish makes an appearance. In this. He's pretty what scary. Are we talking about the clown when 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 all the monsters are are released. Oh right, right, right. They have right, Pound right, Foolish. Right. The clown is there because they couldn't. Get, well, that's... They couldn't get Pennywise. See, so they got they got Pound Foolish. Uh, one thing to bring up though is like uh, huh? one thing we haven't talked about is this movie has an insane twist. And it's a twist that they're dangling in front of you the entire time, but you can't quite figure it out until the end. And it's a pretty big payoff. Well, I, is it a twist, though? I mean, they it's kind of... I had no idea. It's more like what, a reveal. A the reveal? Oh, like when they meet the president of the... the elevators? Oh. The elevators? I guess, yeah. I guess but I didn't really cabin think. cabin in the woods is a fucking super scientific elevator. Yeah, shaft but they show you right. But into, that's the whole setup. Like they they don't hide that. They show you that from the opening of the movie. You know that there's a whole scientific setup and a whole business going on. Like that's not. I, I feel like that's. I, mean, I knew nothing presented. about this movie going in. I think the reveal is that is why they're doing what they're doing. I think that's the whole reveal, right? Like yeah, the reason like, why they're yeah, you, tricking right. these people into doing what they want. But guys, there's some actual body shaming during the making of this movie. Because you've got Chris Hemsworth, or Thor, as everyone knows him as. Then you've got Jess Williams as Holden, the Grey's Anatomy actor that Dave was referencing. And then our favorite out of the five kids is obviously Fran Kranz, who plays Marty. And when they had yes. the scene, when they were all jumping off the dock into the water, you notice that Marty, who is also the cliche stoner in the movie, he doesn't jump in the water. And the whole movie, he's wearing baggy clothes and kind of like frumpy. It's because apparently Fran Kranz was way more ripped than Chris Hemsworth and Jess Williams. <laughs> and so they were like, wow. we can't ruin the perception of your character by having you jump in the water with them and be this like stud. Hmm. I will say, how many horror movies do you watch where the stoner ends up being the hero, though? You know? that I felt, yeah, I like I felt that a lot. cool. I felt seen, you know, in this. I like the, the <laughs> bong represented. that looks like a coffee cup as yeah. a weapon. Yeah. It's like, that was legit. They spent $5,000 to actually make a fully functional bong coffee thermos. $5,000? Wow. Is, is it that much? Apparently. Okay. You could probably get one now. I want one now. Well, this was this was a long time ago. Now you just grab some weed lemonade. You don't need. You're not smoke. <laughs> you, you wouldn't bring a giant ten foot bong with you anywhere. You'd have all your edibles and vapes and drinks and all that. The lemonade would probably help you in a cosmic horror type of situation because the acidic uh, citrus. It's all, you could make a ceviche out of like one of these monsters by just throwing <laughs> the cannabis lemonade on it. Get the merman ceviche. They have uh, they have a budget pinhead. In this, they have Razorhead. I liked him. He's the guy. Instead of having pins coming out of his head, he has the saws. I guess he's more of a sawhead 
He has the mm-hmm. saws coming out of his head, but he has the little the little box, the little ball that if they had opened up that, if they had chosen that path. Yeah, he's actually been, in like, the credits as like Fornicus, the Lord of something something. Like he's budget. Fornicus. He's budget something. pinhead. Yeah, he's Fornicus. 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 It's like fornicate. Well, well. well, a big thing about this movie is once once you realize that the kids are being manipulated and the cabin is this is this playground where this underground facility is you know essentially running things so that they die in incredibly cliche horror movie ways you know the kids have to go down to the basement very reminiscent of evil dead and the basement is just full of all of these artifacts and essentially when one of the kids does something with a particular artifact they have just chosen the monsters that will be released upon them and what we discover like dave talked about is they find an elevator shaft and go down into the facility well you find that there are literally hundreds if not thousands of containers that each contain a different monster so a huge part of the movie was when everybody in the facility is betting on what monster the kids will pick and there's a board behind them and the board just lists all these different monsters so of course the internet immediately screenshots this and gets a list of every single monster so the board itself says werewolf alien beast mutants wraiths zombies reptilious clowns witches sexy witches which i love (laughs) demons hell lord angry molesting tree obviously another nod to the evil dead giant snake deadites evil dead mummy the bride the scarecrow folk snowman dragon bat vampires dismemberment goblins sugar plum fairy merman the reanimated unicorn huron sasquatch slash wendigo slash yeti dolls zombie redneck torture family which by the way they win the doctors jack-o'-lantern a giant twins and then the last one it says is kevin Oh, really? I didn't notice that. Kevin. Wow. This there was a lot of Evil Dead stuff. I feel like one of the I guess it's not a problem, but there's so much Evil Dead reference. Like you're trying to cover sort of the history of cinematic horror, but you're so obsessed with like a couple certain particular favorites. Like this is the whole lead up of very Evil Dead. The cabin looks like the cat. I mean, it's really close. I didn't bother pulling up a direct comparison, but and the whole. Um, the hatch to the hatch that goes down under the cabin. A lot of Evil Dead stuff in here. Obviously, big fans of that movie. Anyway, the Sawhead guy, he would have come out. He would have been like Pinhead, except he had saws in his head. He would have talked just like the guy at the end of the void that Dave did the uh, impression of earlier. That was pretty, yeah, that was very Pinhead as well. Yeah, anytime you have gravelly voiced exposition about a bunch of gobbledygook nonsense, you just have to have some guy, hey, it's a dear bard, the relentless vastness of pleasure and pain. Yeah, that going on. Oh, well. Hellraiser is probably my uh, introduction to cosmic horror. What a skinning in Hellraiser, too. Way more skinning than in the void. Cosmic horror has no respect for the human anatomy. Nah. They just they shred it right apart. It's not like. Speaking of anatomy, I liked the uh, Kevin. Who's the final gal in this? What's her name? Kelly Donnelly or something? Kristen Connolly as Dana. Kristen Kristen Connolly. Wow, you were pretty close. Kelly Donnelly is that what you said? Yeah, I know I was close. 
<laughs> no, nah, she she did. Um, and I think Dave, you and I might have talked about this movie before. She did the Bay, and I think oh, we might have been discussing yeah. the Bay for. Like, I've Contagion. seen the Bay. I don't remember yeah. much about it. Yeah, and she yeah, actually, yeah. I liked it. To keep tying in Stephen King, she was in the uh, King adaptation of A Good Marriage. Oh. Every everybody probably mostly knows her from House of Cards. Speaking of Bay, I really like the girl that made out with the Dusty Wolf head. The only thing I could find her like that was a great scene. of like noteworthy credits is she apparently played the yellow Power Ranger on one of the Power Ranger TV shows. <laughs> so some of the articles some of the articles that I'm finding on the movie is I was kind of putting my notes together. Everyone's like, yeah, this movie's fine, but it's a great chance to see the yellow Power Ranger's boobs. <laughs> well, she really goes to town mm. on that on that stuffed wolf head. That's like I, I thought she was in other Josh Whedon-y type stuff that's sort of like early 2010s, like you were talking about, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that whole sort of like Comic-Con craze stuff. I thought she had more going on in that world, but she's just really known for absolutely giving it to this taxidermy <laughs> wolf head. It's really something. I think the wolf head was an actual taxidermied wolf head. The tongue, however, was fake. And apparently they coated it in powdered sugar so that it would taste better uh, for her. You can tell it. You can really tell in the performance that it's a good. She really works. Do a lot of wolves get uh, work done like fake tongues a lot? Or, or was that done? A, was that done after it died? They got the fake tongue or was that when maybe it, its <laughs> tongue wasn't attractive enough? So it decided to get some work done. The wolf has been tongue shamed his entire life. That was like the only real thing in this too, because that was another thing. So much CGI this is like CGI bonanza, man. Just like, oh, look at that digital image. Wow, scary. I can I imagine there was a lot of good team of effects. the team of people on the computers. They must have been typing furiously, making graphics to make that <laughs> snake. Ah, bone chilling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about the uh, CGI, but I know that the the practical effects and the costumes in this movie were done by Heather Langenkamp and her husband, oh, yeah, David Leroy Anderson. Respect, so we talked respect. about talked about them, and he did the stuff for Pet Cemetery. Obviously, Heather Langenkamp is Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. So I thought it was pretty cool to see that they did. Yeah, I didn't realize until we started digging deeper into a lot of these movies that she had gone on to this whole career behind the scenes in film. I didn't know that. And she's involved in a lot of these movies. I will say I liked the uh, the use of Ario Speedwagon in this movie. I thought yep. it was very effective. Yep, that was inspired. Really yep. good. I felt I felt good. That was like who would pick that? Nobody. Just this movie. That was cool. I did I did like that. I've I've seen this movie probably twenty times. On, well, no, what is it? It's two thousand twenty. This came out in twenty eleven. I've seen this movie no fewer than nine times, probably ten. And every single time, I already talked about how I love Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. There's so many things they do that still make me laugh. But I still piss my pants at the harbinger scene. So the kids on their way to the cabin stop at the broken down old gas station. And the crazy old man comes out and gives them the warning. You know, turn back now. And then the harbinger calls back to the facility to tell, you know, the lambs are on their way to the slaughter. And Bradley Whitford has him on speakerphone. And the guy's like giving this huge, crazy guy speech. He stops. He's like, Am I on speakerphone? And like the way that Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins start laughing at each other, it, it's like 100% genuine that ev it gets me every single time. 
That reminded me of the Harbinger in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Obviously, there's a Harbinger in a lot of these movies, which is sort of the whole thing that they're doing. That character that is first revealed early in the movie, usually at a gas station or something like in this example and in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But they give him some sort of vague warning. And and this this warning is as vague as any, but it reminded me of the, the warning in Texas Chainsaw Massacre when they're talking about going to the house and, and he says... Uh, you don't want to go up there in an old house like that. Just is inherently dangerous. Just being in an old house. Oh, don't you? You don't want to. You don't want to go fooling around in an old house. You don't know what. Well, it's like the guy. Don't is do the Same thing at the beginning of uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Like the town drunk. Yeah, like, yeah. It's guy. a time tested. But good call on Texas Chainsaw Massacre because the dude that played the harbinger in Cabin in the Woods was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre the beginning as oh, the guy that yeah. owned the slaughterhouse that Leatherface worked at. And they show the bloody handprint on the side of the van in this, which is another oh right, another Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing. This is, by the way, all, this is on Hulu right now and free on Prime. So this is a good time to check this one out. No rental needed. It's almost always available streaming. I watch this once a year, typically right around this time. So good job picking it. Happy um, Halloween! And I and I can almost always find. I rarely have to rent this. It's it's always bouncing around the the various streaming platforms. So Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon have a commentary. And like the one thing that like you, this movie, obviously it can get away with a whole lot more than your typical horror movie, which even those get away with a lot. But the one time, every single time I wa- watch this movie is the fact that there's this facility with thousands of monsters in containers and that there's one big red button is all she has to push to release every single monster. <laughs> so... So in the commentary, uh, they openly just start mocking themselves. And uh, one of them is like, what? You would totally have this system purge technology if you had a bunch of monsters. Like, they just brush it off, you know, like, well aware that it's the most literally out of a movie that is 100% ridiculous 100% of the time. Like, even I, every time I watched this, was like, okay, the button's a little bit much. I would think it would be a little bit more complicated to release thousands of monsters. And we also didn't talk about Sigourney Weaver. What up? 